Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcasts. This week, we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, The Message. Well, today we're continuing this series uh, in 1 Corinthians, Changing the Way You Think, and we come today to one of the most important passages in all the Bible on what it means to be a Christian. Just think about it. Let's say you're at Thanksgiving this weekend, and you have a relative there, a friend from work or something, and they pull you aside, and you're, just happy, you're talking, and they say, you know what, um, I've got to be honest, you haven't really grown up in a church. I know you're a Christian. What is this, this Christianity thing? What does it mean? Could you just boil it down for me? I hear all kinds of things, but in a nutshell, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do, what do Christians believe? Well, if, if someone asks me that question, I think one of the first passages that will come to my mind in all the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15. It's one of those passages where in a nutshell, Paul says, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what you believe to be a Christian. If you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. Here, here's what it is in a nutshell. And so we're going to be looking at that. In fact, at the end of the service today, if you've not yet given your life to Christ, maybe you've been coming to Rocky Peak for a while, maybe it's the first or second time, but you're sensing that there's something here, there's something there, that you want a new relationship with God, that you want to enter in, you want to have what others of your Christian friends have, you don't have it yet, you want that experience with God. At the end of this service, I'm going to give you a chance to give your life to Christ. So I just want to give you a heads up on that, so you can be listening clearly today as we go through this, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, okay? Now, before we jump in the passage, I want to do what I often do, is just take a little bit of time and set the stage for, for this, what's going on. Apparently, there were some in the church of Corinth who were rising up, and they were tra- teaching this strange new doctrine or teaching, and what the, basically what it was is that when you die, that uh, your spirit continues on, your soul continues on, but you'll never get your body back again, that uh, they were teaching that there will no be, not be a resurrection. Now, um, you say, well, how do they come up with that? Well, it was a very popular teaching in their culture of their time. In fact, for hundreds of years, the Greek philosophers had taught, if you stop and think about it, our bodies get us into a lot of trouble. And he said, so the ultimate freedom would be to lose our bodies. And so what they taught is that when you die, your soul continues, but your body doesn't. And so you're ultimately, you're free now. You're free to be who God made you to be. You're reunited with God, that sort of thing. And so they've been teaching this. So what happened, and this is a constant danger for us. We'll be talking about this a lot today as followers of Jesus. But one of the biggest dangers we have as followers of Christ is that we take the teachings of Jesus and we take the current popular teachings of our culture and we mix them together and then we think we still have Christianity, you see? And we think we're still followers of Jesus. And in fact, we are off the road and heading to spiritual destruction. And that's what had happened. They had taken this teaching of their culture that there would be no resurrection. They're mixing it with the teachings of Christ and the thinking they were on track spiritually. So what Paul's going to do in this passage is he's going to say, time out, let's go back to the basics. Let's go back, let's remember when I first came to Corinth, remember when I first shared the message of God, the gospel, remember what the basic message is made up on, and in light of that, how could you ever think that this new teaching would actually be from God, okay? So let's take our Bibles and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And jump in. We're going to cover about half the chapter today. We'll finish it up then next week. He says, uh, now brothers, verse 1, I want to remind you of the gospel or the message that I preached to you, which you received, and those you accepted, and on which you've taken your stand, you've based your life. I just want to go back to the basics and remind you of the message, the basic message. 
He says, by this gospel, by this message, you are saved. If, and you should underline that in your Bible or circle it, it's a big if, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. So he says, look, this is the message we all bought into. It's a message we brought. It's a message you believed. It's a message you were saved by. And you're going to be saved as long as you believe it. You don't believe this anymore. Guess what? You're not being saved. You, you're not following Jesus. You, you, you don't understand the basics of what it means to be a Christian. And so now he begins to lay out some of the basics, okay? And so these are some of the, the uh, kind of the core message of what it means. And by the way, there on your note sheet, you'll notice that as I've often done, there are, uh, we're going to be walking through this passage. I've broken it down into subsections. So we're starting off now. We're in that section, the first one there, where it says the core message, what it means to be a Christian. Okay, so he starts laying out some of the, some of the basics. Verse 3, for, I, I re- um, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, in other words, top priority, that first of all, here's number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the, the scriptures. Okay, so the first thing that Christians believe is that, that Jesus Christ died and that his death was not an accident that it was part of God's plan, that he specifically died for our sins. That you have sins, I have sins, we have all fallen short of what we're supposed to be, that we are broken, we can't fix ourselves, and that so, so God sent his son to die to pay the price for our sins. That's, that's a core teaching of Christianity, okay? Now notice the second thing he says is that it's according to the scriptures. He says, uh, we are people, as Christians, we are people of the book, We believe this book is a supernatural book. When Jesus died, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. As we see in a second, when he was raised from the dead, it was prophesied from the Old Testament. That this book is a supernatural book that guides your life. That's part of the core message. You know, you can be a Christian and go, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe the book. You see, It's, it's, it's according to the scriptures. A third thing, verse four, that he was buried one of the things we believe as, as Christians is that when Jesus died, he really was dead. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He wasn't pretending. He wasn't winking. He wasn't seeing three days. He was out, gone, dead. Okay? Stone cold, dead. Put in the tomb, dead. Disciples are distraught. He's dead. It's over. The dream is over. Okay? So that's as Christians we believe that. He was dead. He was buried. Okay? And then Paul says, And that he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures. That he got up. Jesus got out. He walked out of the tomb, or however he did, but he came out of the tomb. That he got up. He had a real body. If you there, you could have touched it. They saw him. It wasn't a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't a mental resurrection. He He had a new body. And Paul says, and this isn't just something we just kind of dreamed up. He says, this is a fact. And he starts giving the factual evidence based on eyewitness accounts. So he says, uh, he was, uh, okay, verse 5. And he appeared to Peter. Now, of course, they all knew Peter. Peter, the apostle Peter. uh, Everyone knew him. Very high credibility. uh, And so, okay, so Peter, he says he saw. And then he appeared to the 12. That would be who? That's the disciples, right? Twelve disciples. Okay, so, so the, the inner circle all saw him. But notice this, it wasn't just the inner circle. 
okay, if, if this message of Jesus and Christianity was that 13 people saw Jesus afterwards and they were all his closest followers, it'd be a little bit like, oh, you sure? <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, the inner circle's all saying it, but, uh, you know, any, can, we, can we broaden it out any bit? You know, any, any skeptics in the midst, uh, any other, you know, broader? And he says, well, actually, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at one time. An interesting thing. We don't know for sure when this event happened. Uh, there's no, there, is no, uh, there is no story in the gospel accounts of Jesus ever appearing after his resurrection of 500 people. We don't know that. It's a good reminder to us that what we have in the gospels is just kind of a bare minimum. It's not the whole story. It's just examples of the story. Uh, Jesus was appearing for 40 days. He had appeared many times, right? And so uh, this was just one of them. We don't know when this was. It could have been when he went to, up back into heaven, and it says there was quite a people, few people there in Matthew 28. It doesn't tell us how many, so it could be that time, but we don't know. So, so more than 500 people. So that kind of rules out a group hallucination, right? This kind of rules out that it's like, well, you know, we were all smoking this thing. I don't know what happened. You know, he's like, whoa, there he is. Uh, that there's 500 people who were there, who saw him personally, okay? And he says, on top of that, most of them are still alive. Go ask them. Go interview. You hear them all the time. They're on Dr. Phil. They're on Oprah. They're out there. They're being interviewed. See, these are people are alive. Okay. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which is his way of saying died. Number seven. He said, now here's one. Then he appeared to James. So who's James? James was the half-brother of Jesus, okay? Same mother, different father, right? So uh, God was father of Jesus, <laughs> and, you know, James got the short end of the stick. He got Joseph. <laughs> but anyway, they shared the same mother. Now, we're told in John chapter 7 that when Jesus was growing up, his brothers didn't believe in him. This is easy to understand. Older brothers always think they're God, Right? Younger brothers never believe it. But we're told that after Jesus rose from the dead, James says, shoot, he was telling the truth. <laughs> he really was special. And so James became one of the leaders in the early church, the key leaders. He was one of the first martyrs that we're told about in the book of Acts, the key leader. And so James the skeptic, after the resurrection, said, wow, my brother really is the son of God. Those stories were true. And it says, and then he appeared to uh, all the apostles. Interesting side note. Notice that in the New Testament, sometimes people are called apostles outside the 12. You know, because the 12 were mentioned earlier. And then Paul says, and last of all, he appeared to me, the apostle Paul. Remember on the road to Damascus at his conversion, as to one abnormally born. In other words, unlike the 12 who got to be with Jesus during kind of normal time span, Jesus had to show up and appear to him later, uh, you know, in time, later in history. Now, verse 11, so here he sums it up. So whether it was I, what I, Paul, preach, or they, the 12, you know, the apostles preach, this is the message we preach. This is it, and this is what you believe. So he says, hey, listen, let's just go back to the basics here. Let's remember, here's the message of Christianity, is that Jesus died for our sins, and Jesus went into the grave and was dead, and then Jesus came out of the grave with a new physical body. You could touch him. It was a real deal. And he said, and that is the message we preach. He says, so if that is the message of the, we preach, if that's the basic message, let's go on the next section there in your note sheet. If that's the message, then what's up with this new teaching? 
Verse 12. But if it is preached, if our message is that Christ has been raised from the dead, then how can some of you, notice not all of them in the church, but how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? How can you buy into this new teaching? He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, if that's categorically true, that there is no such thing as physical life after death. There's spiritual life, but not physical life. If that's categorically true, then that means that even Christ has not been raised. Okay? That makes sense, right? And he says, now, if Christ has not been raised, we've got a whole host of problems. And he's going to begin spelling out. Let me, let me ask you something. No, don't show, no show of hands. Just let me ask you something. What if you found out tomorrow that conclusively, absolutely, Jesus did not rise from the dead? There was some sort of proof that came up that was just, absolutely, he didn't rise from the dead. What would that do to your relationship with God? I think for some of us here, we'd say, well, what's the big deal? We believe he died for our sins. We believe he, he rose spiritually. It's good enough. Paul says, oh, no, 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 time out. If Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead, we've got some major problems. And he's going to list them out here. Okay. Number one, verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Wow, pretty strong statement, isn't it? Now, we're going to talk a lot about this today. We're going to come back to it later, but I just want to, I want to get going right now, okay? I want, I want to get, get, get the stock going, right? Because I know it's 9 o'clock and you're still waking up and everything, so I'll throw it out now and hopefully I'll get to you later. Okay, what we're going to see is Paul is going to come back to this again. In our culture today, the common view of God is that it doesn't really matter what you believe about God as long as you believe something, Okay? He didn't say that, that, that hey, have you heard people say this? Well, I'm glad that works for you. I'm glad that works for you. That's good for you. It's not for me, but I'm glad it works for you. And what they're saying is, I don't know if it's true or not, but as long as you believe in God, um, then you have faith. If you have faith, then faith will get you where you need to go. You see, just believe it. Doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter who you're believing in. Faith in something is good, you see? And I want you to catch right away that Paul says that is not true. He says, if your faith is in the wrong thing, it is useless. Okay? This goes for Christians, too. He says, Christians, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your faith is a waste of time. You're out there whistling in the dark, ready to get hit on the 405 about 2 in the morning. Your, your life is a waste. Okay? Paul's a realist. Then he goes on. He's verse, verse 15, he says, now we've got another problem here. More than that, then we, the Apostle Paul and his friends, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But, if he, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So Paul says, we've got another problem here. We've got another problem, church. We're going around telling people, that there's a God in heaven who loves us, who sent his son to die for our sins, who rose from the dead so that you could be forgiven. He says, if God didn't raise his son from the dead, you don't want to be going around telling people he did. You become a false witness. You become a witness like a cultist going around saying, this is God and it's really not the truth. Like a false religion, this is God, it's really not the truth. You see, you're spreading lies about God. Is there anything more dangerous in life than to be spreading lies about God? If there's one thing we want to be clear on in life, it's God. 
And if we're out there saying that God raised this man Jesus from the dead and he didn't, he said, we are false witnesses. That's a serious problem, okay? Oh, but there's more. <laughs> Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised from the, uh, has not been raised, your faith is futile, he's already said that, but you are still in your sins. Let's say that tomorrow I uh, emailed the whole congregation and I said, hey, I know you all have a lot of sin in your life and uh, I want to pay for that sin personally. So I'm going to go up to Stony Peak over here at, uh, on Tuesday evening. I'm going to jump off and kill myself. It's going to pay for your sins. See, anyone can claim to die and pay for someone else's sins, right? How do you know if it's true or not? How do you know that anyone's death really is accepted by God as the payment for your sins. How do you know that? Well, you know that because God raised Jesus from the dead. It was his way of saying what Jesus said about his death is really the truth. His death, his resurrection, proves that his claims to die for our sins are true. If he didn't rise from the dead, he's just like anyone else, and we're still in our sins. Okay, but there's more. (laughs) Verse 18. Another problem we have is that then those who are fallen asleep in Christ, now remember the Corinthians have been Christians for a few years, apparently some in their midst had died in that time. They'd done a funeral for them. They'd said things like, hey, we're really sorry for our brother, we're glad he's with Jesus, and we'll get to see him again someday, and isn't that awesome, and we have hope. And he says, you know what, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that's not true. And then in verse 19, his grand finale If only for this life we have hope in Christ, I want you to catch this, we are to be pitied more than all men. Wow. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he'd say, why? Are there no benefits to following Christ apart from the afterlife? Of course there are. Uh, There's huge benefits for the here and now. But that's not his point. We'll see later that Paul risked his life every day for Jesus Christ. Every day was a new adventure. And he suffered like crazy for Jesus. And he's going to say later, do you think I'm going to do that if there's no resurrection? He says, you got to be sorry for me. The poor guy is out there getting beat up, getting thrown in jail, getting stoned uh, the old-fashioned way. Uh, You know, all these things. (laughs) And he says, you've got to feel sorry for it. We're to be pitied if we're out there going through all this hell in our life and there's no heaven He says, what's up with that? You'd feel sorry for such a fool, right? We're to be pitied. Okay. So that's the second section. If that's the message, what's with his teaching? Okay, next section. But God, but Christ has been raised. And so Paul comes back and says, yeah, but hey, the good news is that he has been raised. Verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. We've established that fact. We already talked about that earlier in the chapter. And in fact, he uses a harvest analogy that Christ is like the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Like when you, when, when you plant a crop, the first fruits come in, right? And that's just the first part of the crop. And then in a couple weeks, few weeks, the whole crop comes in. He says, Jesus is like the first fruits. What happened to him is going to happen to us. Okay? He's the first fruits of those who fall asleep. Verse 21, for since death came through a man, through our rebellion and sin, uh, through Adam and Eve, the resurrection of the dead is also comes through a man. See, the, the reason Jesus, the reason God took on flesh and blood was because a man got us into this problem and a man's got to get us out of this problem. You see? And so Jesus became flesh and blood so he could be like his brothers in every way so he could solve this mess that we're in. 
Verse 22, for as in Adam all die. You and I as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we carry their genetic and spiritual makeup. And as in Adam, we all die because we all have sin in our life. We're all sinners. So in Christ, we, we will all be made alive. But there's an order to this, each in his own turn. Christ is the first fruits, and then when he comes, when Jesus returns, those who belong to him will be resurrected. And then, the, and then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion and authority and power. And that's not just talking about earthly dominion. This is even more importantly talking about behind the scenes, spiritual dominions in the unseen places. Okay? For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You understand this as human beings, we've got a problem in our life. You say, I know, I got a lot of problems in my life. I got bills to pay. I've got a husband I don't understand. I got kids that are going crazy. I've got, no, no, no. Yeah, those are all problems, but that's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem in life is that you are going to die. Everyone in this room is headed for death. That is our biggest problem of the human race is death. And it's the last problem that God's going to solve. He might work in your way in other ways and solve other issues in your life right here and now. But the last thing that God's going to do, the final enemy, is death. And that is the enemy that Jesus came to ultimately destroy. Now let's skip down to verse 33. So he says, now do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. This is uh, one of the most important principles of life is that, uh, I put it like this, that we become like the people we hang out with. Uh, so Paul says, you know, if, if you want to be a grow in your life with Christ, hang out with growing people. Uh, if you want to be uh, apathetic in your Christian life, just hang out with apathetic people. You want to go off the deep end in your Christian life, hang out with other people who are going off the deep end. We become like the people we hang out with. That's just a principle of life. It applies to all of life. But he takes it to the next level here. And he says, in this particular ca- uh, uh, situation, when he says bad character, uh, 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 bad company, he's talking specifically in this context about bad teachers. Okay? People who are teaching these things about the resurrection. He says, you hang out with people that have bad theology. Guess what? The end result is you get bad character. And this is really important. We're going to catch this. Bad thinking leads to bad choices, and bad choices lead to bad character. Okay? That makes sense? This is that what we think about God is incredibly important. We're going to be talking about that more because bad thinking leads to bad choices. Bad choices leads to bad character. And so he says, come back to your senses, kind of wake up, smell the roses, come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning. He says, you guys are on the wrong track here. You're thinking about this thing all wrong. And for there are some, these false teachers, who are ignorant of God. I mean, they think they're on the inside track. They think they're so wise that the bottom line is they're really ignorant. And he says, I say this to your shame. You should be ashamed of yourself. You know what the Christian message is about. How can you buy into this? There's no resurrection when part of the core message is Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, wake up. You know, so he kind of gives them a little lashing there. All right. Now, uh, that's the passage. Now, here's what I want to do. I think there's some incredibly important truths in this passage that are very core to us, especially at this point in our culture, uh, as a nation, as a world, um, and as individuals. And uh, so we're going we're to walk through these. I'm calling it Truth 101 because at the heart of this message is a message of truth. What is the truth about God? And does it matter what we believe? 
Is there such a thing as truth? And does it matter what we believe when we talk about God and our spiritual life? So number one, the first principle goes like this, that what you believe about God, and it's going to seem kind of obvious, but just hang with me. What you believe about God, first of all, it really matters. And some of you are saying, and I came to church to learn that. <laughs> what you believe about God really matters. Uh, duh. Like, uh, maybe you should take a couple weeks off. You know, uh, come back when you've got something fresh to say. Um, but let me challenge you on this. Let me challenge you on this. I believe one of the core messages of our culture today, and it's creeping into the church, is that what you believe about God doesn't really matter. What matters is you believe in God, okay? Have you seen this out there? This is a very common thing. Whether you're in the workplace, your friends or whatever, people will often, I've heard people say this, no, I'm not into religion, I'm, I'm gonna be spiritual, but I'm not religious. This is a common phrase that said, I wanna be spiritual. What does that mean? What does it mean to be spiritual? Well, I believe in God. Well, what does that mean? Well, I don't really know. And it's like, and, and kind of goes along with this is that, you know, it's, long, it's not so much what I believe, it's important that I do believe in God. And, um, and what I believe is not so important. And you believe what works for you, and I believe what works for me, and we'll all be good, right? It, this is very common in our culture today that what we believe about God doesn't really matter. What's important is we believe in God. And the Apostle Paul comes on and says, are you kidding me? You have got to be kidding. You can't be serious. I, uh, back in September, opened the newspaper one morning. We get the USA Today. I, I love getting USA Today. I'll tell you why, because not that you care. But anyway, I, I was just looking at a couple of people. I was like, who cares? But um, I used to be years ago, I'd go on vacation, and I'd get, when I was on vacation, I always get USA Today. It just made me feel like I was on vacation. And I started thinking, you know what? If I got this at home, it would make me feel like I was on vacation every day. And so sure enough, I get it. I get a little uh, feeling like I'm on vacation. And then I come to work and it kind of blows everything. But anyway, um, so I opened it up in September. Huge front page article. Big study that's been done by Baylor University. Largest study of its kind in years. Everyone's buzz. Big buzz on it. What do Americans believe about God? What do Americans believe about spiritual life? And uh, one of their conclusions was from this survey was that 58% of people, and to be honest, I thought that was very low. I think it's because we live in California and we're much more um, perverted. But anyway, 58%, 58% of Americans agreed with the statement that many religions lead to salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but I think California's got to be higher than that. That only 50, only half the people believe that. Like people I'm around, not Christians, like pretty much everyone believes that. Um, and so where our culture is going today is it doesn't really matter what you believe about God as long as you believe in God because after all, all paths lead to the same place. It's just a matter, we just have different names for God. You can call him Allah or, you know, you can follow the teachings of Buddha or, you know, you can follow the uh, uh, teachings of Judaism or follow the teachings you know, of Hindu. It doesn't really matter. You know, Brahma, whatever. You know, uh, it doesn't really matter. It's just they're all talking about the same thing. And Paul comes along and says, are you kidding me? What you believe about God, it's a matter of life and death. This is, if there's one thing you want to get right in life, it's what you believe about God. 
See, we've come as a culture to the place where we've done this weird, really odd thing where we think spiritual truth is different than every other kind of truth, see? Now, if we're in a math class and I say seven times eight is what? What are you going to tell me? 56, good. If someone says 54, we say no, you are wrong. What if he says, hey, it's 54 to me? We didn't go, oh, that's cool, man. Whatever works for you. Right? If you go to the doctor, he says, you have cancer. You go, no, I don't. That's what you believe. I believe I don't. Doctor goes, cool, man. I guess you don't then. You're studying history. It's like, Either George Washington was the president or he wasn't the president. Now, we might disagree on the interpretation of history of why he became president, but it's a fact that he was the president, right? Oh, I don't think so. Okay, that's cool. Whatever you're good with. Who is president for you? John Adams. Oh, awesome. Great. You see, so in every area of life, we believe there are some things that are true and there are other things that are not true. And when it comes to spirituality as a culture, we bought into this whole notion that there's certain things about God that, well, whatever you believe. Well, I believe God is like this. Well, that's great. Works for you. Paul says, no, there is a real God. There is a real God, and he is a certain way. He's not other ways. You can't redefine him in your own image. So Paul says this. Let's look at our Bibles, chapter 15. I want you to see this, this whole principle here that what we believe about God, it really matters. It's a matter of life and death. I want you to catch this, chapter 15. We can't redefine him in our own image. Verse one, now brothers, I want, verse one, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. You've taken your stand, and on which you've, uh, or what you've received, and on which you've taken your stand. Now catch this, by this gospel, by this message, you are saved. See, By your believing and buying in and basing your life on this message, you are saved. What you believe about God matters. He says, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. If you don't believe this message about God, you're not saved. You see? What you believe is a matter of life and death. Now, we've talked a lot in this series, and I want to camp here for just a minute. We've talked in this series, and one of my uh, kind of uh, big goals for this series is that as a church, when we come out of it, we would understand that in spiritual life, there is a difference between essentials and non-essentials, right? Essentials are those teachings about God and Christ and salvation that have always been believed by the church. They've always been, from the the New Testament times on, they're a matter of life and death spiritually. They're very clear in the word, right? Right? Who Jesus is, who God is, how we're saved. These are essentials. And in those things, the message of 1 Corinthians has been for us, you never compromise. You cannot compromise on essentials. That's what he's saying here, okay? He says, but on the matters that are are non-essential, not that they're not important, but they're non-essential, that good Christians who love God and honor his word disagree on. In their case, it was like meat sacrifice to idols. We've talked about other issues, men and women in ministry, uh, women's role in ministry, spiritual gifts. They're unimportant things, but these are not life and death matters. And we've said in these things, in non-essentials, we've learned from 1 Corinthians 13, that we are to give each other some space. 
room for disagreement, even room to be wrong. The relationship is more than always being right in everything, right? We've learned that pretty clearly. Okay, so most, so far in this series, most of the times I've taught you that principle, it's on the side of, hey, don't sweat the non-essentials. Okay. Now we're going to swing the pendulum today. Today is about when it's an essential, you do not compromise. You cannot compromise the message. So like, what are some of those essentials? Well, we saw them, didn't we? Uh, that he said, first, uh, as a matter of first priority, in verse 3 and on, his first priority, first importance, Jesus died for our sins. That's an essential. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We can't fix ourselves. You can't make it to God. You can't be good enough to get to God. That you need a Savior. I need a Savior. We're in a mess. There had to be a sacrifice. That is an essential. Someone says, well, I don't believe that. And Paul says, well, great, well, then you're not a Christian. See, this is what it means. So we need him. We need a savior. We believe he died. We believe according to the scriptures. We're people of the book. Well, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, then Paul says, you're not a Christian. You see, you've gone outside the lines. It's an essential. Someone says, well, I believe he died for my sins, but I don't believe he really rose from the dead. I think it was a myth. I think that someone thought it up. I think they were smoking something. I think whatever. And Paul says, fine, but you're not a Christian. You see, these are essentials. We can't compromise the essentials because if we compromise the essentials, Paul says, you're not saved. You see? So what we believe really, really matters. Okay? So that's number one. It's a matter of life and death. Number two. The second one goes like this, that if you're not sure what to believe, and this is going to happen sometimes in your life, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, someone comes up to you, and they're going to share a new concept with you about God, and you've never heard it before, it's a new teaching for you, and sometimes that's going to be a great thing, it's going to open up new windows of growth in your life, other times it's going to be false teaching, there's going to be times when you're confused, like that sounds kind of right, but something about that sounds a little wrong. Do you understand that as followers of Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, do you understand this, that you have a sixth sense about spiritual truth? In the book of John, 1 John, we won't turn there, but in chapter 2, if you care, verse 20 and verse 27, John says that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He says we each have an anointing in our life, and he says you you all know the truth, and you don't need anyone to teach you because you all know the truth. What he's saying is that we have a sixth sense spiritually that when someone comes up and shares an idea that seems, it just seems not quite right, always pay attention to that. Always pay attention. Because there's some, the Holy Spirit is kind of sending out a message that, that sounds good, but there's something that seems not quite right. There's probably something going on there. But what do you do? When you're in a situation like that, someone shared you something, you're not sure if it's true or, or not, you're a little bit confused, what do you do? Well, here's what we do. We go back to the basics. If you're not sure what to believe, Go back to the basics. How does this new teaching compare to the old teaching I know is from God? Okay? And this is exactly what Paul does in this passage. Remember in chapter 15, he says, okay, let's think about this. New teaching going around in Corinth, infiltrating the church, that when you die, that your spirit will continue, your soul will continue, but you won't get a new body. There's no such thing as a resurrection. Okay? He says, let's think about that. What does he do? He says, okay, let's take the new teaching. Let's take it back, compare it to the old teaching. Let's go back to the basics. He says, um, 
Okay, let's, let's start from the beginning. Remember the message I shared with you? Let's start from the beginning. Uh, Jesus died for our sins, right? Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, okay, so, and then uh, he was buried, right? Y- yeah, Paul, he was buried. Okay, good. Then he was raised from the dead. Well, good with that. Yep, yep, we've heard that message. We're there. Okay. And then he was seen by a ton of people, five, six hundred people. Oh, you know, you know, personally, right? Yeah, okay, we're with you. Okay. He says, okay, now, in light of that teaching that Jesus really died and he really rose from the dead, can you see how this new teaching doesn't really fit? Because there is no resurrection from the dead, then that means Jesus didn't rise either. You see? So what he does is he says, let's take this new teaching, let's go back to the basics. How does it compare with the old teaching? And this is one of the most important habits for us as individuals or as a church. That as we grow and mature in Jesus, we develop the mind of a Christian thinker. See, we're supposed to love God with all our minds, right? And it's so important in a day and age, it's quickly losing the capacity to think. In the dumbing down of a nation, it is important that as Christians, we lead the way to be world-class thinkers. And so Paul says, I want you to think about this, and I want you to process this. How does this new teaching fit with the old teaching? When you're confused, go back to the basics. Now let me give you some examples. I tell you, our culture is headed for hell in a handbasket right now. We are on the fast track to destruction. And much of that is because we bought in at a very core level to some ideas that will destroy us. One of the things, we'll talk about this later, is that if you want to destroy a person's life, the most effective way is to mess with the way they think. If you can mess with the way they think, you will eventually mess with what they do and mess up their life. And if Satan wants to destroy a whole nation, you know what spiritual warfare on the highest level is? Spiritual warfare on the highest level is not in the realm of temptation. It is in the realm of our thinking. Because if Satan can mess with the way we think, his work is done. When temptation comes, you're just going like that. Because your thinking has predisposed you to it. And so as a nation, let me give you some examples of ways that as a nation we're thinking in the wrong direction. And what's happening, and I I promise you this case, this thinking is pounding at the door of our churches. And this thinking is infiltrating our churches. And if we don't stand with the Apostle Paul and the gospel, we will be destroyed because we'll become just like the culture. Let me just give you two or three examples. If you go to a university today, it is the assumption of almost every class, it is the basic assumption that mankind, that people, you and I, are basically good. And that if you ask, well, why are, so, why are people so evil, the two primary answers that will be given are, number one, it's because of, your envi- because of an environment, a bad environment. People were raised in the wrong environment. And number two, it's, it's a lack of the right education. And so what, what are the problems of the human race? Well, the problems of the human race, if we could just keep people raised in the right environment and we give them the right education, then we wouldn't have, that would solve the problems of the human race. Well, how does that compare? Let's say, okay, okay, that sounds reasonable. Let's compare this new teaching to the old teaching. Well, we come here with the Apostle Paul says, no, the problem of the human race started at the Garden of Eden. 
The problem with the human race, and this is not to undermine the importance, clear, let me hear you on this, that education is extremely important, environment is extremely important. We can see that, right? I mean, it's obviously environment and education is important. But what the Bible says is there is a deeper issue here. There's a deeper problem with our lives. It's problem with your life and my life is deeper than a lack of education. It's deeper than we were raised in a dysfunctional family. The problem with your life and my life is that there is something broken with us at the core. And for that, we need a savior. We need to be forgiven and we need to be remade from the inside out supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. That's the message, the old message. And so as we take in this new message of our culture, we compare, we go, oh, it's off. Yeah, experience is important, education is important, environment is important, sure. But there's a deeper issue here. Uh, let me give you a step, second example. One of the, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, but one of the common assumptions of our culture today is that all paths lead to God. doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is that you believe it with all your heart. And Paul comes along and says, really? Hmm. He's, let me, he says, here's the fact. You can believe in something all you want. You can believe in Allah all you want. You can believe in Krishna all you want. You can believe that you're basically good and that everyone gets to heaven. You can believe whatever you want because your faith is only as as valuable as the fact that it's based on. And and so you can believe with all of your heart that if you jump off this 10-story building that you're going to fly. But once you jump off, it only matters whether it's true or not. You see? And he said in spiritual life, it's just like any any other truth. Is that there is a God. He either has a son or he didn't. That son either died for us or he didn't. These aren't things we can make up. Interesting little sidelight here. And I won't spend a lot of time here. But often you'll, you'll hear in our culture today that while well, all the religions taste basically, they, they teach basically the same thing. That is true at one level and totally false on another. What is true about that statement is that all the great religions of the world have a basically a very similar moral code. Not the same, but very similar. Love your neighbors, yourself kind of thing. Do the right thing, right? That's something. You know, the reason for that is because God wrote that law on the human heart. And so we've figured that stuff out. All the greatest religious leaders figured it out because God wrote it on the human heart. Romans 2 tells you that. But the way it's false is the great religions of the world have tremendous and diametrically opposed descriptions of who God is and what our problem of the human race is. And they're diametrically opposed. You know? Who is God? What do you need to be saved? You know, if you're a Buddhist, you believe that our desires are the cause of all our problems in life. And so the goal of a Buddhist is to extinguish all desire. And if you can extinguish all desire, you'll experience nirvana. That is the solution. The problem with the human race is that desire. The solution is to train yourself through meditation to obliterate your desires. And once you're there, you'll have peace and nirvana. Okay. God comes along. David comes along and says, God, you have filled me with joy in your presence and in your right hand are pleasures forever. Christianity totally affirms desire. There's wrong desires and good desires, right? But Christianity says, no, we were created 
to have desires and for those desires to be filled. And pleasure is a good thing. Out of the wrong context, a bad thing, it's dangerous. But pleasure, can you see how different those things are? Now can you say, well, all paths lead the same place. Well, one says, well, here's the solution. Get rid of all desire. And the other one says, no, you just need to pursue the right desires. You see? And you can go with that line after line after line as you compare, say, the major religions of the world. Who is God? The, you know, if you're a Hindu, the ultimate goal of a Hindu is to die. And then you are gone, and you blend back into the universe, and there is no you any longer, because you were an illusion all along. You see, we, this whole thing we have consciousness, we call it consciousness. In Hindu teaching, that is an illusion. The goal is to escape the illusion as a drop of water to go back and be one with the universe in the great kind of watershed of the universe. And Christianity says, no, you are unique. God created you specifically. He knows your name. He knows the hairs on your head. And you will last forever, either in heaven or hell. But you will last forever. You're a unique creature. Can you see how different those things are? And yet, people come along and just because like, oh, because we all teach that we should love one another, oh, all religions are the same. You see? So they're all the same in terms of the moral code, in general, in big picture. Very different in terms of who God is, what salvation looks like, okay? Uh, third area, just let me give you an example of uh, like one other area where a culture just is really pressing on the church. This whole area of lifestyle issues. You know, Lynn and I, we were up at Santa Barbara Friday night. We were in a hotel, it was late, and I was waiting for her to come to bed, and so I'm flipping around, you know, uh, you know on, on the TV, and there's this kind of talk show come on. It's kind of a sex talk show, the best I could figure out. And... Uh, and so it wasn't like, uh, you know, it wasn't like, well, whatever. Um, you'll get the feel of it here. So these two ladies are on, and this one lady is interviewing the other lady. And it's kind of a, kind of a body show, kind of racy show a little bit. But the one lady, younger lady, is interviewing the older lady who's written a book on, on how to have great sex. And so I'm listening, and she really had some great advice. And I've done a lot of study in this. And, and, uh, and it's, like, that's, it's like, that's really what she was saying in this context. Was really good, but it was really interesting. The whole context of the show was the, the view of our culture, that what you do with your body and what you do sexually has no relationship to your spirituality. Okay? This is the dominant driving force of our culture. There is no relationship between a person's sexuality and their spirituality. And so in this show, it doesn't really matter. And this is very representative of our culture right now. Hey, sex is just a natural thing in life. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. It's bisexual, homosexual, opposite sex, sex before marriage, sex while you're living together, sex after marriage. It's all the same. It's all sex. Doesn't matter. It's all natural. And there's no relationship between your sexuality and your spirituality. This is the dominant force, see? And it's forcing it on the church, isn't it? And we go, we'll go back to the basics. And Jesus says, are you, Jesus said, are you kidding me? <laughs> Jesus said, the level of purity that I want in your life, and I'm about in changing your life, and I want to help you do this. I want to come and change you from the inside out. The level of purity that I want is, I don't, I, I don't even want you just not to commit adultery. I want you to not even look at a woman to commit adultery. Whoa. Back to the basics. And all of a sudden, we went a wake-up call. And it's like, Whoa. We go to 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God, you're, that you would please him in every way. And first of all, that means a clean cut with sexual immorality. Whoa, you see? And so in course after course, the world presses in, and Paul says, when you're confused about what to believe, go back to the basics. Now, number three. Oh, you know what? We need to look at one verse there. I'm really, I'm kind of off my game here. Let's go to uh, Isaiah chapter 8. 
I just want to look at one passage real quickly that kind of underlines this. Isaiah uh, was a prophet. In his day, there was a lot of false teaching going on. A lot of it was tied to the occult. People were trying to figure out how to run their life, how to live their life, and they were turning to seance, they were turning to mediums, much like our culture today. And Paul sa- I mean, uh, Isaiah says, hey, you can't do that. Um, and, uh, and by the way, just a little sidelight here, is that I hope you understand, we've never really taught on this since I've been here, but just want to be clear on this. You know, the Bible's really clear. If you're a follower of Jesus, well, whether you are or not, it says don't mess with the occult. Okay? And so whether it's seances, uh, watching seances on TV, uh, uh, what else? Uh, Ouija boards, yeah, horoscopes. You know, uh, I'm amazed at how many believers like, will read their horoscope every day. It's like the Bible is very clear on this. Do not mess with the occult because it gives Satan an opportunity to, to enter into your life. And I've seen this happen. It doesn't happen every time. I don't understand why some and others, but don't mess with it. So he's, that's what he's saying here, verse 19. 819. So when people tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? He says, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Now here's what he said. Here's the verse. To the law and to the testimony. The testimony is another name for the word of God. So to the law and to the word of God, if these teachers do not speak according to this word, He says, they have no light of dawn. They're in the dark. He says, hey, in his day, you people are trying to figure out how to live and what God wants you to do and the best way to live life. He says, don't go to these people. He says, don't go to anyone who's not speaking by the authority of the law, the law of God, and the testimony, the word of God. He says, that's where we need to be getting our direction from. And if they're not getting our direction from there, then you're out. You see? Okay. So that's sec- that's second principle. Now, number three, last one. I won't, won't spend as long in this one, but number three, what do you um, goes like this? Uh, Paul takes it to the next level now. He, not, not only what we believe about God is important, but what we believe about the next life impacts how you live this life. What you believe about the next life impacts. And this is where he gets very specific. He's focusing in now on the, what we call the doctrine of the re- resurrection, the theology of the resurrection. Now, if you're like uh, most people in our culture, I think most of us, we hear the word theology. We just start, oh, could you pass me the no-dos, please? I- I'm ready, I'm out. <laughs> Lynn and I went to see a movie when we were up in Santa Barbara. I'm telling you, it was so boring. Uh, and uh, she really wanted to see this movie. And I thought it'd be pretty good, too. And so we're there about 15 minutes in. I'm like, oh, do you have my razor blade? I just like slip my wrist so I can bleed out right now. <laughs> She's like, quit. I'm checking my watch every 15 minutes. How much longer? How much longer? I'm not going to tell you what movie. Some of, you, some of you might like it. But, uh, but it has Russell Crowe in it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, or an imposter, someone who took over his body. Anyway. Um, and it happens in Tuscany and, and uh, whatever. And uh, it's really very unbelievable uh, and predictable. But uh, anyway, so, so we hear the word theology and you kind of feel like I did in that movie. Can you pass me the no-dose, wake me up when this is over? You know? But do you realize that theology, just all theology means is what we believe about God? And do you realize that every one of us has a theology? And do you realize that what your theology determines what you'll do in life, what your theology is doing. And do you understand this, that bad theology 
leads to bad choices, which leads to bad character. That was his point earlier. See, what we believe, and he says, now he takes the next level, and he says, let me take the next level. What you believe about the next life and the resurrection directly impacts how you live this life. And he uses himself as an example. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at a couple verses before we close that we haven't looked at yet. In chapter 15 and verse 30. Paul talks about this principle, how it works out in his own life. Remember he said earlier that if, we, if there is no resurrection, we have most people to be most pitied. This gives us a context now. In verse 30, he says, as for us, us meaning himself, his fellow leaders, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? He says, I die every day. I mean that, brothers. Because my life's constantly at risk. Verse 32 if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, we're not sure what he's talking about here. We know the letter was written from Ephesus. Apparently, he was in great danger there. We're not sure exactly what he's referring to. But if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? And then catch this. If the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection, hey, does your theology matter? He says, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die life. If that's all a myth, if you die and you're out and it's over, if Hinduism is true, he says, then, then, then let us just eat and drink and be comfortable and kick our shoes back and just look for the safest place to get through this life. Let's just be happy. Let's just kind of get through as pleasurable as possible. He says, if there's, next, if there's no next life, it impacts how you live in this life. But he says, but the fact is, there is a next life. Jesus died for your sins. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to live forever. And this life is just the lobby into eternity. It's like the lobby in a multiplex in a theater. You go out and you get your popcorn. And you get your Coke. And you get your milk duds. You get whatever you're going to do. And this life is important. He says, but, but what this life is about is deciding which door you're going to go through. And that's why you go into the theater. This life is like the lobby of eternity. And he says, and if that's true, it affects every decision you make. It affects every priority. So let me ask you something. What do you believe about the next life? What's your theology of the next life? What's your picture? When I say next life, what comes to your mind? Because if the next life, what comes to your mind is sitting on a cloud for the next two billion years playing a harp? I don't know about you, but I'm out. <laughs> I'm telling you. I love worship. But after about an hour, I'm done. Unless God's going to do a supernatural lobotomy up there, I can't get excited about that. And if that's what the next life is about, oh, but if we get real bodies, I want to get my new version. I'll talk about that next week. Well, I'm tired of this version, okay? I get my new body. I get to live in a new world. I'm going to have new assignments. I'm going to have new relationships. It's going to be amazing, more, closer than anything I've had here. I'm going to get to experience God in a way I've never had here. He's going to be teaching me things. I'm going to be learning through all eternity. If that's what it's about, then you bet you I'm willing to pay the price here. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm willing to risk my life. I'm willing to die for Jesus because the next life is so real to me. I'm going to live every day in light of that day. See? See, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus.
It means that our sins have been forgiven. The Spirit's come into our life. He's changed us from the inside out and that one day we're gonna have an entrance into an amazing life. And that's what it's all about. Next week we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about that next life. What he says, what do we know about the next life? We gotta get our theology clear on this. We gotta have the right mental pictures if we're gonna follow. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for this passage, Lord, that just comes against us, crashing against the walls of our culture that are pressing in upon us and saying, no, that what we believe about you is a matter of life and death. Oh, and we need to be coming back to you and come back to the basics. And that what we believe specifically about the next life is critically important for how we live this life. And so, Lord, may we be a people that are fully embracing eternity. May we be a people, Lord, who live in the light of that day so we can live every day in light of that day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we wrap up our service today, I'm going to do a couple things. We're going to celebrate communion. It seems like what a great day to celebrate. What does it mean to be a Christian? You know, isn't it awesome? Have your sins forgiven, a new life, an eternity prepared. We're going to do that. But I also want to talk to those of you who have not yet given your life to Christ. I told you at the end of the service, I was giving you a chance. You know now what I believe. You might not understand everything about following Jesus, but you know this. You know today he died for your sins. You know that he wants to forgive your sins. You know that he rose again and he wants to take you with him into eternity and change your life inside out. You know enough. If you know that, you know the nutshell of what it is and you're ready to make a commitment to Christ. And so I'm gonna lead us in a prayer right now. And if you are here and you've been coming to Rocky Peak, maybe it's a short time, maybe it's the first time, maybe it's a longer time, but today you say, I want in. I want to know that God. I want to have that experience. I want my sins forgiven. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. I'm going to ask us all just to bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's the desire of your heart, would you pray along with me, just along inside your heart? Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying for my sins. And I ask you to come into my life, to fill me with your spirit, and to change me from the inside out. And give me a new life. I give you control of my life. I give you the steering wheel of my life. I ask you to lead me. And I ask you to save a spot in forever. I would get a new body to live with you forever. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just prayed that prayer at the end of this service, we're going to take an offering. I'm going to fill out registration cards. And if you prayed that prayer for the very first time to give your life to Christ, would you write me a note and just say, Mike, I prayed the prayer. That has set in motion a couple of things. We'll begin to pray for you this week that God would meet you and guide you in this new life. And secondly, I'll send you a letter with some very practical steps what to do next in your new life with Christ. Lord, we thank you for these people that have prayed that prayer. We pray your spirit would be upon them right now and you confirm your word in their life. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to go to communion now as the band leads us. Sarah will begin by singing a special number to prepare our hearts. As she's singing, when you're ready to go, just move to the the tables. When you're there, just partake of communion when you're ready. And then after that, we'll sing an old hymn together, worship together. So we'll be singing a couple of songs. So when you're ready, go ahead and go celebrate this death that Christ has paid for us, for the forgiveness of our sins and for a new life.
You know, one of the biggest dangers of the people of God, the church of God in any age, in any era, it's happened all through history, is to take the teachings of Jesus and combine them with the current fads of the culture and come up with something we think is Christianity, but then find ourselves on the path that leads to death and destruction. And in our current age, I can tell you this, in the next 10 years, in the next 20 years, unless our nation has a wake-up call and comes back to God, I can tell you what's going to happen is that as the church of Jesus Christ, we will, increase, we will experience increasing persecution because we are standing against two of the most cherished values of our culture, that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. In the realm of moral ethics, there is no such thing as right or wrong. That right and wrong will change over time as a society defends that. And as we stand and say, no, this is the way, walk ye in it. As we say that, we will increasingly be ostracized by our culture. I promise you this. Unless there is a revival in our nation, which we pray for, that day will come. And the cost of following Jesus is going to go up dramatically in coming years because the culture will begin to label us and say, if you say there is such a thing as right and wrong in this area, you are a bigot and you're breaking the law. And that's the path we're on as a nation. And I just want to spell it out here. As a church of Jesus Christ, I could give a rip. We are going to stand for Jesus Christ no matter what. And we will do it. We will do it with compassion. And we will do it with grace. And we will do it with love. But we will not give up the gospel. Because that is the hope of the world. Amen? Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the peak, thanks for listening.